I mean, it's interesting, like it's different for everyone, I'm sure, but working in a library when you've got narcolepsy, it just seems like the worst <laughs> career choice, like so boring. You'd fall asleep all day, every day. Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasia. If you love our podcast and want to give us some support, make sure you're following Psychocinematic Podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. And check out our website, psychocinematicpodcast.com. For access to special bonus content, episodes, early access, stickers and contribute to our regular fundraisers, join our Patreon. Starting from $3.50 a month, you can be the coolest psychocinematic listener there is. So I'm just going to start today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that I'm on today, which is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respect to elders past, present and future, and just recognise that I'm recording this podcast on stolen land. And I would like to start today by introducing our guest today, Charlene. Welcome to the podcast, Charlene. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what brings you onto the podcast today? I'm Charlene, she, her. I'm on Jaja Wurrung land and I also would like to acknowledge that I am on stolen land and um, pay respect to the elders past, present and emerging. I have narcolepsy with cataplexy. I'm what, 38 now, not that age matters. <laughs> and I just work in retail, live life day to day, you know, just try and get by and manage living my day to day life with narcolepsy. So I should just mention too that we connected with each other because I came across your amazing pre loved vintage wear and um, jewelry that you create, which is hopefully I say this right, voluptuous. Um, I guess Shara is a nickname, so Volup, like voluptuous, and then Shah, and then I kind of just made it into a word, voluptuous. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> I just sell my outgoing wardrobe so I can buy more, and it's just like a big rotation, <laughs> and then I make jewellery. And it's really, I love your jewellery. Like, I'm just going to gush about that for a minute, because it's sort of that vintage style, but with like such beautiful colours and glitter, which I'm obsessed with. Um, so I could literally buy everything that you create. It's so good. Yeah. Just experimenting at the moment and making stuff that I like. Which is luckily so, stuff that I like yeah. too. And I'm sure that many of my listeners are earring fans, so I'm sure that you will also like it. <laughs> so yeah, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how um, your experience with narcolepsy, starting with like when you were diagnosed. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 18. I'd always been really tired starting in my teen years, which is usually when it starts. Um, but it wasn't until I was 18 that I got the cataplexy. So just before I was 18, I, I um, noticed that when I started laughing, like my neck would just stop stop working and I just it just kind of hang there. It was really weird. Mm. And um, I, I showed... That would have been really scary. It was weird because I could still do everything. And I showed my mum... And because, you know, I always knew there was something off and sometimes I would come across the hypochondriac because I was trying to figure out why I was tired all the time. And then that developed into my whole body going like completely limp. Uh, I was going across the road with a friend and she made me laugh and I just collapsed in the middle of the road 
and oh, like wow. it wasn't until I stopped laughing that I could get up and she's like what, what are you doing like obvious it wasn't a busy road thank god mm. and she's like what are you doing and I'm like I don't like my body just stopped working anyway my doctor said it sounds neurological um he sent me to a neurologist and they were like okay so you've got a textbook case of narcolepsy so wow and it was I bawled my eyes out it was such a relief to know that I wasn't crazy how how often had it sort of happened before you you ended up getting that diagnosis the cataplexy. The cataplexy had literally just started. However, I went overseas when I was 18 for nearly a year. So I couldn't start medication till I came back because you've got a trial at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. So overseas was really interesting with my um, cataplexy. Mm. And, it, and it actually got a bit worse until I came back and got on medication. So, mm. And when you say you were you're always really tired. Like what did that, because a lot of people complain about tiredness, but it's all a different level for each yeah. person. What did that actually, what yeah. was that actually like for you? You know, the fatigue all around, like I can't be bothered doing anything. I'm just, whatever. I've got no motivation. I've got no energy. I can't be bothered. But then there's like the actual bouts of um, the fatigue where basically I find if I don't stimulate my brain, so if I'm, say, I'm listening to like slow music or relaxing music or watching something boring whenever I was studying, anything that didn't interest me and was playing, you do those ones like, you know, how you see um, reels or TikToks of little kids like falling asleep doing the... Yeah, yeah. Like those head jolts where they're, it's basically like that, mm. like your your body's falling asleep but you're mentally trying to keep yourself awake mm. but it's just like that constantly. And that was would just happen all the time until something would snap you out of it and, you know, that was an everyday thing mm. for me. Like I slept through all my year 11 and 12. I'd fall asleep on the grass like on recess time and it was just normal. Mm. Yeah. So. And no one sort of like did your parents wonder, is this normal, is there something going on or did anyone sort of think, hey, this is a bit odd? Always uh, sleepy but, you know, it just was always put down to teenage hormones, mm. you know, being a girl, it must be period or mm. having a rough week. And, you know, even when I look back at like sleepovers and staying at friends' house, like the next morning they'd say, you fell asleep like halfway through a conversation. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, sorry, I just, if I'm tired, I'm, I go to sleep, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no wind down, no thinking. It's just I'm, I'm dead to the world straight away. So you went on medication when you came back from overseas. What, what was that? How did that go, trialling medication for the first time? Um, I had an interesting doctor mm -hmm. um, and I found out now 20 years later that he is not, he just let me do whatever I wanted with medication. Okay. That uh, take like, he's like, yeah, do this, take whatever you feel, whenever you feel you need it. I was, at one stage I was on like 10 Ritalin a day. Oh, wow. And like I, I know people that have had one Ritalin like as a, like a party pill popper thing like one and I was on 10 of those a day and I was just like a zombie mm -hmm. like I was awake but I wasn't there mentally mm -hmm. anyway yeah so I just trialed stuff now I'm on a weird combination which is apparently not okay by the PBS but 
I'm doing it anyway. And um, the one I, the medication I take for um, the cataplexy really works. So, can I ask what that medication is? Yeah, it's a um, it's an antidepressant, a tricyclic antidepressant. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how it works. <laughs> it's stopped it from like because I started getting because I get cataplexy when I have hysterical laughter, mm-hmm. so not like. <laughs> But like really deep, like when you're with your family or when you're watching like a comedy festival or something and it kind of builds up. Yeah. But I started getting cataplexy overseas when I was angry. Okay. And when I was scared as well, like my knees started buckling and my neck started doing that droopy thing. So um, when I started on the, the antidepressant, it kind of stopped that continuing. So it sounds like it's worked quite well for you on that medication regime. Yeah. Has it been a long time since you've had an attack of cataplexy? No, a lot of it too I think is managing it so I avoid situations similar to the movie that we're going to talk about tonight. So I avoid or if I am going to be in a situation where I know it's going to happen, I you know look at when I need to back away from the conversation. So a lot of the time it will happen at family gatherings mm. because they know my sense of humour just we've got like a a weird dark sense of humor I guess warped like I can start to tell when it's coming on so I'll walk away from the conversation Mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah other things I avoid like I can't listen to like Hamish and Andy anymore because they're too funny (laughs) I I can't watch like the comedy shows when you're on tv yeah so it's just you know avoiding certain situations so it's also that management as well to prevent the triggers definitely Shall we talk about the movie that we're going to focus on today, which is Ode to Joy? And I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it. Do you want to share what it was about this piece of media that you thought you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I um, it must have been maybe not long after I'd met you. I was looking up narcolepsy in the media and that I found like a little list of all their, the things and I'm like, oh, what's that? And I found the movie and I'm like, oh, that's really good. Like that it's a movie basically based on cataplexy mm. rather than just, you know, one character for a split moment yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And then when you said about what movie I'd like to do, I thought, well, None of the other ones are really enough to do a podcast on because they're just split moments kind of thing or little characters. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a perfect choice. It's almost like they created this movie for this podcast episode. I think they might have. (laughs) Well, funnily enough, I don't know if you had already known this, but the movie was based on a podcast episode by um, This American Life. Well, it's not even it wasn't even a full podcast episode. It was about a third of the episode, which is just a vignette of um someone who had narcolepsy and, and cataplexy. Ha- have you listened to the podcast episode? Yeah, it's pretty much exactly the same as the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the whole plot line. So there yeah. you go. It all comes full circle. Yeah, so this movie came out in twenty nineteen and it stars Martin Freeman, who I really like, but it was pretty under the radar. Like I don't, I don't expect it really came into cinemas here in Australia, and that was would have been just pre-COVID anyway. No, I'd never heard of it, and I'm not even sure if it did go to cinemas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard of it at all, but it's yeah, good to see an actual movie about, like you say, not just a tiny 
side character that's usually just like a humorous, like something just to create a bit of laughter, which is usually how narcolepsy has been used. So we are introduced to Charlie, played by Martin Freeman. His sister's getting married and he is trying to stay awake during the marriage, but uh, during the wedding, but he manages to collapse over the flowers and fall asleep. Uh, seems to miss the entire reception. His brother, he seems quite close to, he's played by Jake Lacey, I believe. Charlie works at a library and one of the one of his work days, uh, a couple come into the library and they break up. The woman is her name is Francesca. Um, she gets quite hysterical and quite loud, and he calms her down using some sort of micro counseling skills. And it's sort of shown that he's quite good at calming people down, assuming because he has to stay calm um, because of his narcolepsy with cataplexy. Although it's really just said cataplexy in the film. He's quite attracted to Francesca, but he's sort of has to act aloof because one of his triggers is joy. But he asks her out on a date. And um, we learn a bit more about Francesca, her aunt, who's played by Jane Curtin, who I just know from Third Rock from the Sun. Her aunt has cancer and she cares for her. We also find out that Charlie's parents are dead, but we don't really find out why or what happened. He takes Francesca on a date to a very terrible play to avoid too much enjoyment they leave and they have a great time walking until he tries to go to her house and he collapses, ends up in hospital. He, you know, I think his brother reveals to Francesca that he has cataplexy and he has a chat and he mentions that, you know, he can pass out during sex as well. Um, she still wants to date him, but he calls it off. He sets Francesca up with his brother instead. They end up starting to date, but there seems to be a bit of a mismatch because his brother's more of a, a blokey bloke, doesn't want to talk about feelings, and Fr- Francesca definitely prefers to talk about feelings. Oh, his brother's name is Cooper. He meets Bethany from Francesca's work, who's quite aloof and odd. I feel like she's kind of written as a bit of a neurodivergent character. But yeah, that he gets set up on a date with Bethany. They do get along quite well, and um, she's sort of a pleasant person who he's not going to be completely infatuated with. And he shares with her that he has cataplexy, and she really tries hard to accommodate. So now that he's dating Bethany, he feels like he can talk to Francesca without passing out, and can also give advice to his brother, who's getting blue balls, as he said, um, as he continues to date Francesca. They end up going on a trip together. And while he continues to bond well with Francesca, Bethany sort of is still in a relationship with him. And I really like her character. And I love her dear undies. (laughs) Just written that there. (laughs) They're about to have sex, but then Charlie pretends to have a seizure, which isn't something that usually happens to him. So it's questioned by his brother, Cooper. But he ends up telling Francesca that he can be around her now that he's with Bethany because he's the happiest he's ever been. But if that happiness rises up too much, he's just unhappy enough because Francesca's with his brother. So it prevents him from collapsing. Bethany overhears this and breaks up with him. Francesca and Cooper also break up and Charlie's quite down and depressed. And then his brother sort of talks him up and says, you know, you've got to learn to be okay with what comes next. And then in a very strange 
scene, he gets kind of worked up and somehow tumbles and falls over this bridge, but is then rescued. He then goes to Francesca, dragging himself along to the chemo ward where um, her aunt is getting treatment and confesses his love, but that it will be hard, but she accepts him, they kiss, and he collapses. And then we see after the credits, them brushing their teeth together in the bathroom, and he collapses at the sink, quite happy. I should mention too, at the beginning of the movie, there's a, a sort of explanation as to what cataplexy is as well. So it sort of opens up with that. To start with, what did you think of the film? I thought it was, you know, just one of those good, I used to call them chick flicks. Yeah. Just a good rom-com. You know, not not like cinema quality, like you need to see it, but I thought it was just a good movie. Yeah, it's kind of the movie I would put on when I'm just like chilling out or, you know, at home yeah. with nothing to do just to have on. I can see why it didn't make it to the cinemas because there's nothing spectacular about it. But then um, I did read a lot of um, comments from people saying they didn't believe the cataplexy part. Okay. They're like, yeah, no, that's not that's not what happens. That's not true. Oh, not believing the actual condition itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, as if that happens. Kind of oh, thing. really? But, wow. Yeah. What, what, like, what, what's your initial reaction to people saying that and not believing it? It's, it's not the kind of thing you really know until you kind of see it mm. because it is really weird. It's it's pretty funny, which makes it worse in my situation because I'm usually laughing at something and then I'll fall because it depends how you fall, but sometimes that you can't breathe. So then like, then you like realize you haven't breathed for a bit and you're like, <gasps> take a weird breath. And then whoever's with you laughs at you mm. and then you're laughing at them laughing at you, which just kind of. You just keep laughing and you're then just still there slumped until like you have to really block it out in your mind and stop laughing. And it can be, it could be quite dangerous too if you're like crossing the road, for example, which would mean people, it'd be better if people could sort of take it more seriously if they knew what was happening. It's, It's pretty funny though, like everyone, except for my dad, when he was alive, he used to hate it. But everyone else, it's pretty funny to watch Mm. when, you know, when you're in a safe, controlled environment. Mm -hmm. And I remember once I did a post on Facebook or something about saying, you know, I hate having narcolepsy and one of my friends was like, no, like I remember fondly all the times that we've had things happen and, you know, it's just hilarious like and not laughing at me but with me Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's, yeah, fond times. So, but yeah, um, the main character is a real jerk in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, he's not particularly pleasant, is he? Like, and he really plays on it. Yeah, really plays on his narcolepsy. Like, you tries to use it, especially that scene where he like fakes a seizure. Like, yeah. that was a bit off. Yeah, a bit off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I couldn't really quite tell what Francesca saw in him. Made her <laughs> like he wasn't particularly friendly to her. I think it was probably just the fact that he wasn't the usual guy that she went after. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of mm. thought her character was a little bit manic pixie dream girl in a way because she's kind of just this very hot, beautiful woman who always goes for the wrong guy, but that's kind of all we kind of find out about her. And she pretty much like changes Charlie to want to be in love, I guess. I feel like my mum would probably say, my mum's a, a counsellor, she'd probably say something to do with not post-traumatic stress, but like attachment disorders, mm. something to do with a parent and the way that she would go after those type of guys. Yeah. 
her attachment styles probably. She's got mental mental health issues. Very likely, yes. <laughs> I, I was considering going into well, what could she have, but I thought it would probably be better to just to focus on the narcolepsy in, in the film because otherwise yeah. we'll be here for a while. Um, but, yeah, she's got some interesting stuff going on as well. But I didn't think yeah. she was created with a huge amount of depth. Um, like what does she we don't really see if she's got a job or where she lives or what's going on in her life apart from that she's into Charlie yeah she's just the source of joy for Charlie in this movie exactly yeah Yeah. I thought I'd um, have a look at any of the lived experience of anyone in the film or who created the film and it was written by Max Weiner and he just heard the episode on This American Life and just thought it would be a great story to tell. And, you know, it is an interesting story, but he had absolutely no experience with uh, sleep disorders or narcolepsy. He sort of saw it more as a story about someone who avoids joy and avoids love and sort of related to it in that way. So it was kind of wanting to tell the story for more of that emotional side of things rather than demonstrating what it's actually like to have cataplexy but um, didn't really consult with any narcolepsy sleep disorder focused organizations or ask for input doesn't even look like he talked to a doctor but um, there's heaps of resources I don't I don't know if you came across them through Project Sleep who connected with Max Weiner after the film and like they did a little PS like public service announcement um, together around narcolepsy and um, develop some just some links and resources to people who wanted to know more about it. So it was kind of like after the fact that they connected with Max Weiner and it was, you know, obviously a positive outcome that they were able to get some more actual advocacy out there. But I was kind of disappointed that they didn't sort of do that beforehand. I think she tried to get in contact with him as soon as she found out that the film was happening. She tried to get in contact with him, but it wasn't until after the film had been done that they kind of contacted her, Mm. which is disappointing, but it still puts resources out there for anyone that might need them. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty it's pretty obvious that they had no professionals input because um there's a few things that are quite inaccurate. Yeah, and it's good now that you if you um look up like the actual website of this film, they've got a bunch of links there and the PSA as well. But yeah. I, I think especially in 2019 like there's not really that much excuse to not do a little bit of research anymore there's plenty of resources out there that they could have accessed my only thought is that maybe it was easier to film um so the the biggest inaccuracy I find is that when someone's having cataplexy that they're unconscious they say in the film that they faint um and like how he misses out on his sister's wedding because he's asleep or unconscious uh etc that's like completely opposite to what it is you're completely conscious the whole time you just can't move like and what cataplexy actually is is basically your body has this mechanism so you don't act out your dreams when you're asleep Mm -hmm. um so it kind of makes your body go limp and basically you know I guess the wires are all miswired in your brain so whenever say for me I have hysterical laughter like my body just switches on this cataplexy so I don't act out my dreams even though I'm awake Mm -hmm. 
uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, so you're completely like conscious and you can hear everything around you just, but in the movie they kind of make out that you've fainted or you're unconscious, Mm. which is really frustrating. And does it last that long too? Like the fact that he missed the entire wedding for his sister, how long does it usually last for for you? So it's different for everyone. So the actual cataplexy itself, for me, it's full body. Mm. And for him in the movie, it's full body. But some people, it can just be, you know, like an arm or just like when I initially got it, it was just my neck would go limp. So it's different for everyone. But basically until that emotion that's making you have cataplexy kind of stops. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I stop laughing, that's when I'm able to stand up and move again. Yep. So imagine for him in the movie, when he's no longer feeling that joy, he'll be fine. Mm. However... Like you do get tired because basically you're you kind of mentally and physically try to fight yeah, it, yeah, uh, which can be weird again because it's it kind of creates all these like body jolt things. Mm-hmm. So and that can be draining. So you can sometimes need to have a sleep afterwards. But if it was someone's wedding, you'd you'd stay awake no matter. Yeah, you wouldn't. You try not so. to anyway, and I guess. You know, he's trying to suppress that joy from the wedding and I'm assuming that would be a full yeah. day <laughs> event for him anyway of trying to yeah. to move, yeah. um, to stay alert. But, yeah, like that that sort of rang, like it's a pretty huge error to, because, yeah. you know, it explains it at the beginning of the movie that it, cataplexy is a neurological disorder which yeah. brings on muscle weakness caused by emotions but for Charlie, joy. Um, which is accurate, yeah. but then to make Martin Freeman have a full sleep attack is quite inaccurate. And I think it's also of yeah. note that Martin Freeman isn't someone who has narcolepsy or cataplexy, so no lived experience himself. Doesn't mean he, I, I don't know if it necessarily means he couldn't play the role, but then it's obvious that he's not actually enacting the role of someone who has experienced cataplexy. I guess another really important thing that the movie gets wrong is is they don't really mention that it's actually a symptom of narcolepsy. They kind of just talk about it as a disorder itself when really it's not. It's it's one of many symptoms of narcolepsy. Which is weird because it's usually the other way around in movies. They say narcolepsy but it's often the cataplexy they're describing. Mm -hmm. So like in Juice Bigelow there's a lady with narcolepsy who's afraid of eating soup because she thinks you're going to drown, which Mm -hmm. basically is like that cataplexy symptom that would cause her to fall in the soup and drown Mm -hmm. rather than the narcolepsy kind of thing. Yeah. And in, uh, what is it, Moulin Rouge, Mm -hmm. the Argentinian, I think he falls through a hole or something at the beginning. Yeah, he falls through the roof. (laughs) Yeah, numerous times. And that's that's the cataplexy. Mm -hmm. So narcolepsy is main, like there's a whole heap of things, but the cataplexy part is the, like your, your muscle weakness, like you just go limp and you don't, you don't really hurt yourself. It might be different in this movie when he um, hits his head, that might be different. Yeah. I don't know, maybe he got knocked unconscious, but most of the time you don't really hurt yourself because your body is limp and relaxed mm-hmm. um I've fallen down staircases and everything and never never really hurt myself I've got a scratch on my face once from falling into the concrete that's the worst I've had like and you know you hear stories of 
people that have fallen over like Niagara Falls when they're sleepwalking and it's because they don't get hurt because they're like relaxed mm, or something. So their bodies sort it's, of. It's the same thing. Yeah, they don't resist yeah, it. You're completely okay. limp. You're not tense so you don't get hurt. Mm, that's interesting because the other thing that it looks like is that he has no control over it's happening. Like there's many times throughout the film where it happens and if if he could sort of feel it coming on sh- then it would might be easier for him to like to sit or like at the wedding. Yeah. Given that yeah. it's such an emotionally huge moment, yeah. wouldn't it be better for him to be sitting on a, on a chair or something to accommodate yeah. just in case yeah. and things like that? Even his brother, yeah, his brother picks it up more than he does. Yeah. Um, when they get in the argument and that stupid scene where he falls over the oh edge of that fence. <laughs> His brother says something like, you know, don't, you'll get all worked up. Mm. You know what happens when you get worked up or something. And so his brother's kind of, you know, looking at it. But I don't know, he's just not very self-aware. And, I mean, that could just be the character, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he seems to try to keep joy out of his life in any way. I mean, it's interesting, like, it's different for everyone I'm sure but working in a library when you've got narcolepsy it just seems like the worst (laughs) career choice like so boring you'd fall asleep all day every day like I would yeah you've got to be quiet and you don't see him because narcolepsy is excessive daytime fatigue Mm -hmm. um you're never really tired at night which is another part of it but you never really see him tired during the day. Yeah, it seems to be his only symptom. Yeah, he does a lot of exercise, it seems like, midway through the day, so that may be his way of managing it, which may work for some, but, you know, then there's that whole motivation level because you're always so tired you've never got the energy to go for and do exercise. Mm. But, yeah, there's a lot of things about narcolepsy that don't... That don't really touch on. I might take that great segue to actually talk about what is the definition of narcolepsy um just so people are clear like what are the symptoms so according to i think it was webmd that i got this from narcolepsy is a sleep disorder characterized by excessive daytime sleepiness sleep paralysis hallucinations and in some cases cataplexy there are two major types of narcolepsy type one which are people who experience cataplexy and type 2 are those who do not experience cataplexy. And with type 1, cataplexy usually happens after the onset of the excessive sleepiness, which is the main symptom. And the reason why they've determined where the um, cataplexy comes from is there's a loss of a neurotransmitter called orexin, um, which is the, I guess, the function that stops your that stops your muscles from being from working I guess you you might be able to explain that better (laughs) the cataplexy that I don't really know much about they've got the the lack of um orexin or in or hypocretin in your brain that's like the chemical messenger that um deals with like wakefulness Mm -hmm. and arousal and appetite in your brain and um people with narcolepsy they it attacks like the brain attacks the cells that creates hypocretin so then you can't deal with the wakefulness and all the dreaming and all that stuff properly um cataplexy I don't think they know much about it um it's just that whole dream wake state that's all confused Mm -hmm. and miswired it's 
and it's the all the other things to the sleep paralysis and um, hallucinations that's all to do with that as well like the hallucinations is basically you're just you're dreaming while you're awake mm-hmm. so you're seeing things happen but you're completely awake usually it happens you're paralyzed at the same time mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of good so you know that you're it's not real. That still sounds quite um, distressing at the same time. It is, uh, especially when you don't know what it is. Um, So I had some pretty bad um, sleep paralysis and hallucinations before I knew that I had narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. I had some aliens attack me and um, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I seriously thought I was going insane. And when I saw the neurologist and he was like, you know, you're tired during the day and, you know, you can't sleep well at night and then you've got this thing when you laugh and he's like, have you had any weird kind of visions or hallucinations? I'm like, well, there was the alien that kind of attacked me and he's like, yeah, that's part of the narcolepsy. So, um, And that happens when you've um, got the sleep paralysis. So I've been able to figure out that whenever... I'm seeing something or hearing something and I can't move, I know that it's... You know that it's the narcolepsy. Yeah. I'm, not yeah. actually happening. Yeah, thank you for that because I'm, I'm sort of going, you know, I, I'm not a sleep disorder expert. Uh, my background psychology, but I've not worked in the sleep field. So thank you for explaining that a lot better than I tried to. And look, it's a really tricky um, disorder and they even, they don't know much about it mm. at all. I don't understand why. I thought it was initially I used to think it was because the part of the brain that it's in, they can't like cut it open and uh, look at it in people while you're alive like because if because it's right in the middle and I I don't know if that's the case but they just don't know anything about it like in Australia it's not recognized as a disability you can't get NDIS because they don't know anything about it and they say it's a rare disorder but it's like one in 2,000 people it's but there's a lot more rarer disorders out there yeah definitely they just don't know much about it yeah I don't understand why. I uh, wonder if that's got something to do with it because I guess, um, you know, one of the previous guests on the podcast who who is a doctor in psychology working in the sleep research field at Monash, um, they do a lot of sleep studies, but I think just getting the amount of, you know, participants and the everything that, you know, you need to do to set it up. And there's only a couple of labs in Australia that actually do it. So there might be lots of reasons why there's not enough research about it as well in terms of actually being able to do the research as well. And I think there'd be a lot of ethical issues too. Like I've often thought, because I don't, like you can't really look up videos of anyone having cataplexy attacks or anything like that. And I've thought, oh, I should um, volunteer myself. Mm. But then I'm like, by the time they get to in a lab and then make you watch something funny, like there'd be ethical issues about them making you laugh to to go like to lose muscle control. It's like, ugh. yeah, yeah, there'd have to be some hoops to jump through. I'll have to Definitely. pick Dr. Elisa's brain a bit more about yeah. it. On that note, too, they sort of call it cataplexy a disease a few times in the film. I picked up them use the word disease, which like even that in itself in terms of accuracy is like that's not quite the right term to use because a disease sort of implies that there's like like if you did a blood test, you could see that there's cataplexy yeah. and it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. So that kind of bothered me a little bit. <laughs> I tried to look up the difference 
between a disorder and a disease, but I don't know, too many terms, yeah. terminologies and <laughs> all that stuff. But, yeah, it's not a disease. It's a neurological disorder. Yeah, so. yeah. it would be nice if they just got that right and consistent in the film. So it's an auto, they've discovered it's an autoimmune thing. So I guess autoimmune disorder. It's not an autoimmune disease, I guess. In terms of what we see in the film too with, with regards to treatment, Charlie mentions that he was on Zyrem, um, which I looked up is yeah. sodium oxybate, um, and that, you know, it made him pee at night. So he's not on anything and he's just – he mentions that exercise is supposed to be just as good. What were your, What was your thoughts on seeing that sort of very brief scene about treatment in the film? Uh, Zyrem is – it's a newer medication. It is completely different to um, usually they use stimulants to keep you awake, um, central your nervous system to stimulate you and keep you awake during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Zyrem um, focuses on making you sleep better at night. So it's like a liquid that you have a couple of times during the night to make you sleep um, sleep better. So it's a completely different way of treatment. Um, it's not really readily available in Australia. It, I think... For starters, it costs about two grand a month. Oh, wow. That's um, very expensive. Yeah. So it's not in the PBS because it's only new. I think I saw a few years ago there was five people that were trialing it. Oh, wow. That's not many. Like in Australia. <laughs> wow. No, because it costs, because it costs so much. Yeah, um, And then there's all the issues. Like I've thought about it. If I wanted to go on it, I'd have to get weaned off the current medication I'm on, which means I would lose my license because I have to get my license approved every two years Mm -hmm. by my neurologist, which means if I lost my license, I would lose my job. And then, you know, you'd be stuck at home and then you'd have to, you know, start from scratch with this new medication. So it's just not really ideal. Mm. I mean, it would be nice, especially if it worked, but going through all that to try it, it's just a lot. Especially when it's going to cost you more than you earn anyway. Oh, my God. And it sounds like it's probably like it's not just you just take it once or take it a couple of times. You have to sort of wake yourself up at night to take the next dose. Is that From what I've seen, you you have to wake up during the night. So I've I've only seen things where they've got other people that will wake them up in the middle of the night to take the next dose. Mm. So I don't know how you'd do it if you were on your own. Yeah. But. So it's interesting that they mentioned that one in the film, given that it's quite new and still not. In in America, it's it's quite widely used oh, now. Okay. I think it's you can get it like on insurance or something. Um, oh, okay. Like they have a different healthcare system, mm. but you can access it a bit easier than what you can in Australia. But it's yeah. it does sound like that he, you know, it could just be his just the character that is written for this film, that he's not sort of interested in trying anything else. Um, like he complains about the side effect of peeing at night, which I did look up is can be a side effect. <laughs> so they got that right. But, you know, like. Did it say peeing, did it say peeing at night? I don't know if it. At night? It said bedwetting. That's what it said. That could be embarrassing if, you know, went on a date or over the weekend yeah, sure. with this you know wet the bed yeah no I I wouldn't want that (laughs) but yeah like you're on an um, antidepressant that seems to be working for you and um, what from what I read there's you know like you just mentioned 
um, stimulants or other. Yeah, so I'm on the stimulants as well for the narcolepsy. The antidepressant is for the cataplexy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that they don't show any sort of other treatment. They don't really sort of mention it in the film. It's more like him managing and avoiding triggers throughout his life and putting on the funeral march to to walk to work so that he's only going to have sort of that low level of emotion. Yeah, he's stuck in his ways. He's found what he thinks works yeah. and he's like, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life because it works. How, how do, is, does that relate to you at all? Like do you, ha, do you feel like you, you can't um, have too much triggers? Like do you have to manage your life so that there's less triggers for you? Uh, In some ways, yes. I don't really socialise as much as I'd like to because I kind of worry that maybe I'd laugh and that would be really embarrassing in a social situation. I don't know. I feel like maybe joy, if I um, cataplexy from that, that would be a whole different story. Mm. I mean, it's a little bit depressing now that I've got to avoid, you know, certain things because I can't laugh hysterically, but if there were things I had to avoid, such as, you know, watching puppy videos of puppies being cute because it made me happy, that's pretty depressing. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if there would be levels. So, like, could you experience small levels of joy to make you happy or just any joy? So I think it would be different for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I, it, in some ways I can completely relate, but you can't let it rule your life and let you become a hermit, a miserable person because, you know, there's people in way worse situations that have to live with things that are much more debilitating. Mm. Like, and I mean, I know I've been diagnosed. There are a lot of people that have narcolepsy that aren't diagnosed. Like if I never got cataplexy, I would have probably been uh, put in an institution by now, mm. uh, which which apparently used to happen a lot. I'm not going to say in the olden days, but, you know, centuries ago because people would see things, yeah. have hallucinations, you know, tell others that it happened and they'd just get locked up. So I'm, I'm really fortunate um, that I was diagnosed and found out straight away and I've got a great support network. So you can't let it take over yeah because then it does get depressing and it's like oh. and I did read that there is a higher risk of depression and other sort of mental illnesses for people who, who have yeah. narcolepsy which which makes complete sense because like you just mentioned like avoiding social situations I'm sure that would be common too and some of the anxiety of oh, what if something happens there's a lot of uh issues a lot of comorbidities mm-hmm. that come with narcolepsy uh, the depression is a big one but uh, things like, you know, if you're on um, a certain medication for too long, you can start to experience uh, anhedonia, which is basically like you can't experience mm-hmm. pleasure. Mm. And then there's all other things like dental issues because you've basically been on speed for your whole life to keep you awake mm-hmm. and like you've constantly got the pasties like you're out clubbing and on speed. Yeah. But, I mean, again, there's worse, worse things other people have to deal with and I guess everyone's on their own journey of of diagnosis and acceptance and and figuring out how best to manage it as well um and for someone like Charlie this works for him until it doesn't of course because he wants to have a relationship and yeah it's all about adjusting as well I guess Mm -hmm. I need to ask have you ever felt tempted to put tacks in your shoes to prevent yourself feeling too much joy or or 
laughter. Uh, no, but I have pinched myself to the point of leaving bruises all up my arm because I was trying to keep myself away. Mm. So pain in a way can be you can kind of use it to your advantage in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. I had I had um, teeth issues a while back. So I've got um, I grind my teeth when I sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, when I dream like really badly to the point where I bruised all my bottom gums oh. and it was so painful that my narcolepsy basically went away because I was in so much pain that I, my brain was constantly stimulated. Oh it was, God. I felt like I didn't have narcolepsy. It was kind of great for like a few days. I was in so much pain, but I wasn't tired. Yeah, It was really weird. And then once the bruising went down, I'm like, oh, I'm tired again. Yeah. So it's like replacing tiredness with pain. Yeah. So I, I haven't done the tacks in my shoes, but I can see to some point what they're getting at. Yeah. I, I kind of thought it was sort of in a way like, oh, you, I, and this is my pro-medication, like, you know, pro-what-works-for-people medication-wise brain saying the side effects of medication is not as bad as literally having to step on a tack like what would you prefer yeah but uh, yeah like you say I can see where they're trying to go with that at least maybe he hadn't tried any maybe he hadn't tried any other medication yeah yeah. and he's just he seems pretty stubborn like stuck in his way so maybe he's like well that's that works for me I'm not going to try anything else was there anything else that you thought was particularly inaccurate in the film there's a couple of uh, physics issues I find annoying. I'm not into chemistry or physics in any way, but a couple of times he's like, well, there's this one time where he's walking up the stairs, I think to go into her house, mm. you know, to get it on or something, and then he falls back and then he hits his head. Yeah. But I'm like, he's going, he's leaning forwards going up the stairs. Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden he just becomes like, a straight plank and falls backwards. I'm like, that wouldn't have happened. Like he would have just fallen forward on the stairs because he's always already going forward. And the fact that he goes like super straight it, doesn't suggest muscle weakness. Yeah, yeah. It suggests like tensing no, your no. muscles. Yeah, definitely. And you kind of you, you kind of just go down. I had I had someone say once, I don't understand how physically it would be possible, but she swears that my the back of my feet, like my heels, hit my shoulder blades. Like, oh wow! And I'm like, I don't. That's not possible. Like, I'm not even that flexible. And she's like, No, you went so straight down. Like, so it kind of gives you an idea. Like, you don't get like become a plank and go either direction. Like, you just go down. Yeah. Like, you just kind of. You, it's like your muscles. Like a rag doll, you like they kind of make out that in the movie, like he just goes like that, hmm. whereas you don't. You just kind of go like limp, yeah. And that kind of frustrates me. Does it doesn't make physical sense? And also the <laughs> going over the railings didn't make any sense to me. Like they they're quite high where he is. Like how did he get over there? And then um, I read, I think it was on IMDb. It was a goof because. The spikes are gone when Jake's trying to pull him up and then they appear again. Yeah. So, like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> it was just a bit yeah. Rough. And And he was like, well, you're not unconscious, but you're like dead weight. Mm. 
like you've got a child, you know, when they put on that dead weight and they just crack it and they go limp, they are heavy. Yeah. Like his brother, like I know he's a big buff guy, but just your arms, like your biceps, triceps, you wouldn't be able to hold like a a full-grown man's weight Mm. like for 30 seconds. Like it's unrealistic, but effects, movies, cinemas, whatever. It just, yeah, it, I, I, that kind of lost me that bit. I was just like, this is this the most yeah. unrealistic part of the film. You basically, you just you just become a ragdoll. Like you just go limp. And the probably the most dangerous thing is suffocation. Mm-hmm. So like if you, um, often overseas I'd get propped up on my bed with pillows surrounding me. But if I fell the wrong way and fell face down into the doona, like after a while when I'd realized that I hadn't taken a breath I'd go to take a breath but if my face was stuffed in the doona I couldn't Mm. get that breath that I needed so often that is the hardest part putting someone in um what's that position like the recovery recovery position but I mean usually you're too busy laughing or something but But if you were sort of I guess by yourself and you know you're watching something on YouTube and you're laughing on you in your bed I guess that could be a risk if there's yeah. no one around to I think it's happened it once. It's happened once and I actually passed out. Oh, wow. I became unconscious because I couldn't breathe. And then I, I woke up a little while later and I'm like, what happened? Mm. Oh, okay. So, like, because I couldn't breathe, like, I obviously stopped laughing and I must have moved into a position where I could sleep. Yeah. But that was, like, once. That was a weird situation. Yeah. But well, I hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> No way. <laughs> oh, and there's the um, the laughing whilst driving. This didn't happen if you're from Vic Road. <laughs> but once I did, I did laugh while I was driving with friends in the car and become limp and they had to put on the handbrake and steer the car over to the side. Oh, wow. So That's I no scary. longer drive with friends or that kind of situation Mm -hmm. I mean they found it funny because we were laughing at something that was funny you know we went in a um on a busy road like they were able to you know steer it over to the side but that can be one of the and falling asleep while you're driving Mm. so you know it sucks because you have to get your license approved all the time and And do you have to do like a driving test for that or just have a doctor's letter or a neurologist it has to be a specialist and then they just have to say that um my medication is controlled Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah I guess it's minimizing the risks where possible yeah but it's it's weird because the just having my good old rant about the uh, public health system so I'm not allowed to contact my neurologist to make an appointment they have to contact me to say that it's been so long since they last saw me and that I can make an appointment. So if I get a letter from Vic Road saying I need my licence approved or I'll lose my licence, I can't make an appointment with my neurologist to say I need my licence approved. That is so frustrating. And I'm assuming they're not going to get in contact with the neurologist to let him know to contact you to make an appointment or her. That makes no sense. No. It's, and it's, you know, it's all just frustrating, mm. but it's how they work. How often do you usually see the neurologist or is it usually just to do things like approve your driver's license? Uh, so because I've, it's been about 20 years now that I've been on medication, I think every two years now I see my neurologist and nowadays it's done via telehealth and 
that basically is just to get my license so we can send a letter to Vic Roads, you know, et cetera. But I think initially it used to be every six months and then, you know, as doctors go, because there's not really a, a sleep clinic so much, I go to an epilepsy clinic. Okay. There was, or oh, this is with um, Austin, I think it might be different at other hospitals. Mm-hmm. One guy did try to start a sleep thing and moved. So, you know, as different doctors go, you got to see the new one, but. I guess it'd be different for everyone, but now it's only every two years. I guess that that's cheaper because <laughs> neurologists are expensive, um, but also well, um, it's through the public health system. Oh, that's so. true. Yeah. While we're on the subject of sleep in this episode, did you know that getting enough sleep is good for your skin too? Let me just take a quick break while I tell you a bit more about the excellent Codex Labs products. I love a good skincare routine before bed to freshen my face so it's nice and ready to rest. So why not choose incredible skincare that also meets our values by being sustainable, ethically and culturally respectfully sourced and based in science with a dash of herbal medicine through Ayurveda. Based in Silicon Valley and led by scientist Dr. Barb Paldas, Codex Beauty Labs is committed to creating the highest standard in sustainable skincare and biotech plant-based alternatives to restore and protect the skin barrier and support a healthy microbiome. The products address key skincare concerns and conditions including eczema, psoriasis, sensitive dry and inflamed skin. The brand has been heralded by dermatologists for creating effective, clinically proven skincare that brings a new data-driven and transparent approach to beauty. Codex Beauty Labs is also dedicated to protecting biodiversity to ensure it flourishes for future generations. All products contain sustainably sourced ingredients from the forests of Patagonia to the bogs of Ireland. They're packaged in plant-based polyethylene tubes and work to reduce the carbon footprint. The products are sold around the world in over 15 countries and territories, including right here in Australia. Sleep hygiene is a great strategy for managing your sleep and helping us get enough, including a regular sleep routine and making sure that our body is ready to wind down and get some shut eye. Codex Labs has a whole range of products to include as part of your sleep hygiene and self-care routine. Shant, a collection of four products that address oily and acne prone skin, which is perfect for my skin type. Shant means peace and calm in Hindi, blending the best of Ayurvedic knowledge with plant stem cell biotechnology. Try the moisturizer, which refines skin texture and even out skin tone. The balancing foaming cleanser, which controls oiliness by cleansing without stripping moisture. And use the Shant Refining Toner, which hydrates while reducing reddening, calming and purifying. The Shant Balancing Clay Mask builds on the others and improves uneven skin tone and helps brighten. And the Shant Balancing Oil Control Cream refines skin texture and tone. If you're into ingestibles, why not try the Shant Clear Skin Probiotic Supplement, designed to support both a healthy gut and skin microbiome, and Shant Skin Distress, a daily powder formulated to balance anti-inflammatory plant-based actives to soothe blemish-prone skin. Order one of the Shant products from Codex Labs now and use the code PSYCHOCINEMATIC20 to get 20% off your order. That brand again, Codex Labs, and that code again, PSYCHOCINEMATIC20. And now, back to the episode. So next question, was there anything that was particularly stereotypical or any like sort of messages or tropes that the the film shows that is a little bit on the nose, as we say? To do with narcolepsy and cataplexy? Not not really? Yeah, I didn't think there was too much. I thought there was possibly a message that, you know, 
that often comes up in for like particularly rom-coms that like loves the answer or love fixes everything <laughs> but I think it kind of got away with that because love didn't really fix it like he still has cataplexy any better probably got worse if anything and we didn't see like that end part where he's brushing his teeth could have been like two days later yeah exactly we don't know what how long it lasted or if it lasted so yeah and I I think that was because you know how at one point he's like I just want to skip to the bit in the relationship we're just doing mundane things like like putting on your deodorant and brushing your teeth so it sort of shows that even when they're at that mundane bit he has an attack so I guess I kind of liked that it was kind of like you know, it's just accepted that this is what's going to happen for him and he can still have love at the same time. I thought it was kind of cute. I didn't think it was played for laughs like so many other Hollywood films do, like we were just mentioning before, like Juice Bigelow, etc. There was also, did you ever see Rat Race? Yeah, I watched that recently. I think it's Rowan Atkinson. That was stupid. Silly. Yeah, that was, uh, you can't sleep standing up. You can sleep like propped up against things but you can't sleep standing up in the middle of running or whatever he was doing yeah 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 Yeah. and that was such a bad representation I thought I've slept I've fallen asleep like leaning up against something but that's very inaccurate yeah I don't think it ticked too many of the tropes that I expected I did think that the girlfriend Bethany who he dates who's kind of the quirky neurodivergent type character is sort of played as like, you know, she's someone who you probably wouldn't date. She's really weird and odd. But I really liked her. I thought she was awesome. She was very yeah. quirky and into very specific things. But I also still thought she was lovely. Just not not his type. Yeah. Obviously he's what he screwed his nose up at her when she was talking about yarn or something. Yeah, yeah. Like I think she would be a great girlfriend. <laughs> if someone yeah, yeah. had the same very, interest. very neurodivergent, but Exactly, yeah. So I just thought that was a kind of a bit of a trope that like she's sort of the comedic relief, I guess, but also yeah, she's yeah. kind of minimised as that when she's could be a wonderful person. But then, but then at the end she does stand up for yeah. herself and she says there is something wrong with you when she overhears him. Like yeah. I think he must say to the Francesca that he's in love with her yeah. and that he's just been using the other girl to get to her. Mm. I think she must overhear that and she like stands up for herself and she says there's something wrong with yeah. you. And he's like, what, the narcolepsy? And she's like, no, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. So I like that. That was a really good quote. Yeah, I liked I liked her a lot. So that kind of redeems the, yeah, the you're right. you know, how they're taking the piss out of her. But I think the only other stereotype that I, <laughs> that I want to mention is that in every single rom-com, particularly like this kind of rom-com where it's, you know, not a highest Hollywood standard, the male lead and his best friend or his brother play some sort of sport where they – run around and they're sweaty and they talk and (laughs) it's just like exactly that scene but they're playing like handball or something usually Mm. it's like squash or basketball or I don't know only part I can think about is just when they they do all their exercise and they're running and getting sweaty yeah yeah when do they oh wait do they play lacrosse or something maybe it's lacrosse yeah they're doing something I feel like (laughs) I always laugh at that maybe that's just another stereotype in the uh brother because you know he's big and strong and buff and wants to get his muscles out but that's just me having a stereotype (laughs) no yeah it annoys me that he works looking after children the brother oh yeah his job is to I guess his 
it must be like an independent thing. He looks after children like he is the kindergarten. And yeah, he, yeah. And it's he almost takes like he's to... a, it's like he has them on leashes like a dog walker at one stage. Yeah. But then at another point he's drinking beer at the same time and I'm like, that's really weird. Like why would you leave your kids with someone? Yeah, I didn't quite And then he pops that into one. the library to get his brother to read books. And he picks a really boring book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a depressing book, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was odd. I couldn't quite figure out whether he was a kindergarten teacher or just like a childminder. Yeah, well, I thought he was maybe taking them on day trips, but it's like he had them and was like walking them like a dog walk. Yeah. Or something. It was weird. Yeah, that was really strange. I don't think I thought that part through very much. No. He just needed some sort of job and that was his job. I guess in terms of the messages in the film and what we thought, like whether it was a good sort of maybe stigma smashing film, did we think that the film was helpful? Do you think it was helpful? I think probably more helpful because it just gets the word, like the exposure to cataplexy. Like most people would never have ever heard of it. Mm. And because it's only ever to do with like, it's only a symptom of narcolepsy. It's not a symptom of anything else. Yeah, I think just the exposure is worth it even if it's a bit of a a kind of crappy just a you know a rom-com kind of average story I think it's worth it just to get people talking or thinking is that a real thing and actually get some actual representation of what it is rather than just as part of a silly comedy or something like that yeah yeah I think um it was it was good to see someone living their life with cataplexy and like having a job it's a job he enjoys. He has like a level of authority. It might not be the life that everyone wants to live, but he lives a life, you know, he, he manages yeah. his life. And yeah. I also like that, you know, so many tropes with like mental illness or, you know, trauma and things like that is that they people are cured once they sort of find their true love and then they're happy. And yeah. I liked yeah. that that wasn't something that happened. Like he still has cataplexy. It's kind of a message of accepting people with what they have and not trying to ignore or cure them or um, pretend it's not there, like like accepting yeah. Charlie. And well, you have to, you have to with narcolepsy because there's no cure. Yeah. I think it's good to kind of get the message out. Yeah, yeah. I was reading Project Sleep and Julie Flieger, who's the, I guess she's the... President? Yeah, president. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And she sort of looked at, does she think that the film might reduce stigma? She didn't think that it will reduce stigma for those living with the condition, but this was her, I guess she was being quite critical, um, but she also yeah. thought that his experience was a bit more typical of someone navigating cataplexy before finding the diagnosis which sounds like you you might sort of agree with in that way yeah because he doesn't have his ways of dealing with it he's there's no management no predicting of the situations that he's mm. in that might cause it so yeah just right but, yeah but stigma any stigma I think is better because just the fact that there's a stigma about it means that people are realize it's a thing yeah if does that make sense like if there's no stigma because people don't know it exists I think having a stigma is way better than not even knowing about it at all yeah yeah yeah. to acknowledge its existence is much preferred even if people have like this weird stigma of it than just 
no one knows it exists or don't believe yes, it exists. Yes, it completely denies its existence at all, like yeah, in those yeah. comments. And I guess for me, even though like he isn't sort of managing it or, you know, he's really just trying to avoid the cataplexy more than anything else, it's, I guess it's kind of a, a movie where he, he, he does grow in that, you know, his, I really like the, his brother's quote that you need, to, you have to learn to be okay with what happens next. So rather than trying to avoid and just try and not ever have a trigger and never have cataplexy, just being able to yeah. live your life, accepting that it's going to happen and knowing what, what, what will happen after that. And I think that's that's kind of like I think what that uh, Julie from Project Sleep was saying, like you've got to learn to manage it. Yeah. It's going to happen. And that's kind of why this movie portrays that he acts more like someone who's not really, that's only just been diagnosed with it and doesn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Because he's kind of just like his brother has to say to him, you know, you've got to deal with it. You've got to live your life kind of thing. So I think I think that message was helpful. Is there anything else that you thought was helpful about the film? I think it was good how the Project Sleep put the PSA in at the end with the resources. Yes. Um, because narcolepsy is so underdiagnosed, like if you don't have the cataplexy particularly, mm. fatigue is a symptom of nearly everything. Mm. You know, you've got diabetes, fatigue is a symptom of it you know mental your fatigues you know yeah 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 you've got low blood pressure or something you know this you can't figure it out from that if someone thinks maybe they've got those resources there for them to look it up themselves I think that was a good thing yeah definitely I think that's super helpful um anything harmful about the film or anything that could be considered not a not a helpful message but I guess they leave out the rest of the narcolepsy stuff Mm. Um, it would have been really nice if they showed a bit of that just to give people an understanding of the other side of things yeah again it was good just to have the cataplexy portrayed for once I sort of think Um, having any more of a conversation on medication could have had a negative impact on anyone who was considering going on medication for narcolepsy or is going down that journey they might see Charlie's resistance to it is like, oh, is there something wrong with taking medication? Hopefully they don't see it that way, but yeah. I think maybe the exercise might have been his way of medicating because it was, and because it seemed like such a a resume, a strict resume that he had with his brother, like running through, you know, Central Park or whatever they did. Mm. I wonder if that was his way of doing it because apparently exercise is really good for narcolepsy, but. Isn't always an option for everyone. I think just generally it would have been nice if they did a little bit of research beforehand. It might have come across a little bit more accurate and, you know, they. I think they did all right, but it could have had a harmful implication by not talking to any sleep experts. They could have sort of mitigated. I'm, I'm sure it's a really, it's not an easy job to write or direct a movie, but True. I kind of feel like they've had like this challenge, you know, like I'll give you 20 bucks if you can write a movie in two hours. He's gone, he's found a podcast, he's listened to it. He's like, yep, I'll take this story, make it into a movie. There you go. There you go. All done. Like, <laughs> Martin Freeman. Be like that. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Put in, put in the famous people, you know, add the love interest, this hot chick, you know, add a couple of other, st- you know, put in the strong, muscular guy, the dumb, ditzy, weird lady that everyone thinks weird, you know. You've got a film. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. It, it feels like they don't 
they didn't really think much more into it. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why it wasn't a huge success because it's not really, they didn't really go deep, like they didn't try kind of thing. Yeah, and maybe they didn't think, like I don't think they set out to make this film going, oh, we're going to really um, give a truthful depiction of narcolepsy with cataplexy. I think they just yeah. wanted to make a love, a rom-com with a bit of a twist. Yeah. And it's like, and they yeah. could have gotten away with it until Project Sleep was like, um, let's have a chat. <laughs> and uh yeah. Since yeah. you run with something that we, you know, have actually research around, let's actually provide some resources. Yeah. So good on them for doing that. But the fact that they did do that at the end with her was kind of good. Like they didn't have to. No. Like when she contacted them, they didn't have to reply and they didn't have to put in that PSA at the end with the resources, but they did. So that was good. It would have been nice if they uh, answered her call before the film was released. But Beforehand, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you never know. It could have gone through a manager, through this person, yeah. through that person. I'm sure they were very busy. Yeah, I'm sure they were very busy. I mean, Martin Freeman, I'm sure he's, he's takes up a lot of emails nowadays. <laughs> very popular. Mr. Marvel Shield Agent, I think yes. he is. Yes, yes. He's... Yes. What is he? Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, I think he is. And he's, is uh, he the Hobbit? he's in Sherlock as well, right? I haven't watched it. Neither have I. Yeah. <laughs> when I was researching about this, I came across a short film called Walking Through Peanut Butter. Um, it's about a writer and it's created by a writer and actor who has narcolepsy and it's just like a, a day in the life of someone who's trying to do comedy and then gets diagnosed with cataplexy well get, starts experiencing cataplexy and it was it's very short but I thought it was quite cute I didn't like it oh you didn't like it how come because I, I just watched it before because I saw in your notes about oh, yeah. it I just thought it was weird that she had narcolepsy and knew very well that she had narcolepsy all her friends knew she had narcolepsy so she'd obviously had that diagnosis for a while mm. but she didn't know any of the the symptoms of it, like cataplexy being one of them, she'd obviously never heard of it. Yeah. The fact that she got on stage to do comedy and had the the knees wobble, which is like a classic beginning of cataplexy mm. starting, she didn't even have any idea or any hint to it. And then when she went to her doctor, her doctor was like, you'd know if you had cataplexy. Let me just scribble that off the pamphlet yeah, because I've been your I would do that because I'm a professional. Like that, yeah, that was well, a little bit weird. That's a good point. Yeah. Although it may be it may be like I'm sure, I feel like it might be based on a true story, like it might have been her experience, but I just thought it was weird that narcolepsy and she had no idea of, of what cataplexy was. Yet she still had the brochure in her home of what narcolepsy. Yeah. I just thought it was a bit weird. Yeah, I, I did think that was strange too, that she like knew she had narcolepsy but wasn't bothered to actually find out more about it. or like. And and she said no no to halfway during sex yeah. to go to sleep. And then couldn't sleep. And she had an alarm set for the next 15 minutes. Surely you could just have, you know, a quickie yeah. and then go to your next <laughs> Yeah, either. that's a good point. I just thought it was weird. Yeah, you made me see it with different eyes. But then if, if exercise does help your narcolepsy, then that would – be understandable that if you did have sex it would probably make it harder to go to sleep but yeah <laughs> we need, we've got some questions um Anna Mars about yes we, maybe we should ask her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listeners you, you should uh, make up your mind for yourself and Definitely. I'm sure that Steph has the uh the link in the yes. what's it called the note yes I'll pop the link yeah, in there so. and see what you think as well <laughs> And I, yeah. I hope people watch this film. It, uh, I did have to acquire it in a means that I will not 
not to mention, but because um, it's not very popular, but yeah. I, I'm sure people will find it if they want to access. It film. wasn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't free to stream. No, so I chose if, a different option. Yeah. Um, but people can stream it. I think it's like five bucks or something like that. But I'll pop links in there too. But yeah, is there anything else you wanted to share about the movie or about your experience with narcolepsy before we wind things up? Just that uh, cataplexy is real. And it does yeah. kind of happen like it does in this movie. So if you think oh, that's completely unrealistic, uh, it does happen. It is a thing. And it's kind of embarrassing, but, you know, funny people, sometimes it's funny. I mean, different people, different things. So it's a real thing. It just, you know, don't judge people because you don't know what situation they're in. It's just, the you know, the general thing. Don't be yeah, a dick. That's a good you message. Know, someone's shitty to you. You don't know what they're going through. It's not just narco, obviously, it's anything. Yeah. They may not have slept for the past 20 years, had a decent sleep for the past 20 years. They might be very sleep deprived. Or, you know, they they may just be an asshole, but don't judge them. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's wonderful to learn more about something that I didn't know much about and that I'm sure much of our listeners will find really informative yeah. it's a really really interesting disorder just the links to the sleep and the dreaming and the wakefulness is really all weird and yeah but it's quite interesting thank you for sharing your experience with us about it it's a very personal thing to share about so i really appreciate it and is there anything you'd like to plug as well i'll obviously pop your instagram accounts on the notes but is there anything else you'd like to share yeah, no, I'm an open book, so if anyone has any questions, um, any concerns of their own, um, obviously um, Steph will put up the links and there's Project Sleep you can go to. They've got a lot of resources. But if you just, you know, had a question, feel free to just DM me. But yeah, sleep well. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.